Hey everyone, Carl the producer here again uh, for the second half of the Michael Kambach interview. Uh, so if you've not listened to the first half, I highly suggest it where uh, Michael talks about his experiences growing up and how he got into the art scene. Um, but this is more about uh, Wilmington specific stuff and his what he's done here and some of the work that he's doing now and how that connects to the culture and um, politics of Wilmington. So it's an interesting lesson and I... Hope you enjoy. So the backtrack though, my, you know, I meet the founding director of the Rick Van Story Resource Center, Alan Conover, who is one of the first tenants at Shipley Artist Lofts. And we start to develop a friendship while I'm trying to organize a tenants association there. And it was, a. Uh, you know, it was a failure. It was a failed project and never it never came together. Couldn't bring people together at all uh, in the building. But then come to find out that, like, our, our whole model was flawed from the jump, you know, to, like, ask people who are living there to then give of their time to then organize this gallery, you know, that everybody's there has a certain income threshold that they have to be hustling. And if you're a musician, you know, worth your salt, you're going to be performing any free moment that you have. And folks just didn't have the time or the bandwidth. You know, we needed to have funding right off the bat to have somebody be managing the space right from the jump. And we didn't. So you live and learn. But that friendship with Alan um, really took off. You know, I really loved what he was doing right on the other side of Planned Parenthood because that's where Rick Van Store Resource Center was at the time. I remember our property manager at the building had a lot of question marks, uh, questions about his application and about about that program. I remember leaving a board meeting at Shipley Lofts and having one of a fellow board member look down and seeing a bunch of people hanging out smoking cigarettes out front, and she said, oh, "Who are those people?" <laughs> and uh, You're like, those uh, are the, these are all the little things have, that started to get me. I have some very exciting. Possibly surprising news. <laughs> those people. <laughs> yeah. And so... Uh, those are the people. I started getting to, you know, meet, you know, getting to meet the people that were being served at the Rick Van Story Resource Center. Alan himself was definitely really informed by uh, the the peer recovery movement. Um, you know, these are folks that when they first started organizing after leaving, um, m- you know, mental institutions in the 70s, called themselves the survivor movement, you know, survivors of psychiatric treatment. You know, as they start to uh, professionalize themselves and they started calling themselves the ex-patient movement, you hear many different terms, survivor movement, ex-patient, recovery movement, peer movement. Um, so Alan, you know, created this space. He was a longtime, uh, you know, client of her Eisenhouse and advocated to have a peer run facility to allow people to kind of like self-govern, have their own kind of like day program and hangout. And the tradition of uh, peer led programs are also people who are highly skeptical of their, you know, psychiatric treatment very skeptical of, of big pharma, very skeptical of, you know, the whole medical model. And uh, it was just really cool to, like, get to meet somebody who was doing it in downtown Wilmington. Like, it just seemed like this seemed like a program that would, like, flourish in Oakland or San Francisco. And the, the thing that it was right there was just, like, so cool to me. And I knew that Chris White would have fucking loved it 
And so like we, our friendship really kicked off, but you know, really quickly, you know, Alan then learned that I, that I am in recovery as well, although informed from the substance use side and didn't really, I'm a family member of mental health. I, I used to joke around that like accepting this contract was going to be my big kind of like mental health intervention. And, uh, you know, like nine years later, I'm really proud to say that it has been, you know? And, uh, and so, um, it was Alan who hit me with the request for proposals coming out of the state. The state had just been sued by the Department of Justice for warehousing people at the Delaware Psychiatric Center. So a violation of the Olmstead Act, which guarantees that you ought to receive your health care services in the least segregated environment, which is just hilarious to me. You know, like, it's okay to warehouse people um, out in the community, but if it's on state state property, oh, no, you can't do that. <laughs> uh, but as soon as somebody leaves the hospital, you know, if they don't have any money, guess what's going to happen to you? You know, you, you're going to be I – I can guess which zip code you're going to be living in. You know, everybody can. Uh, so – this this suit, this DOJ suit against Delaware and the resulting five-year settlement agreement period brought in you know, federal funds, dollars to reform the mental health system in Delaware, which was you know, way behind the eight ball on you know, mental health reforms. Um, not surprised by that at all. Um, but luckily, you know, uh, you know, f- for me and for a lot of folks, uh, you know, it, it – it forced um, new models onto the system. It forced peer support specialists into the mental health system, both inpatient, outpatient, in the community. Um, and so Markel signs a settlement agreement, and he brings in an administrator for the Division of Substance Abuse and Mental Health named Kevin Ann Huckshorn. And she uh, was working in the state of Florida and was one of the administrators that uh, green-lighted the funding around a peer-run art center in Broward County, Florida called the Nine Muses Art Center. And so without knowing anything about the Wilmington art community or Wilmington in general, they put out this real generic request for proposals to see if anybody would bite on establishing a peer-run art space. And so um, at this point in time, I'm kind of like, I re- it became really clear to me that I wasn't going anywhere at the Delaware College of Art and Design. We had, a, we had a new president. I was kind of button heads with him. I had a really big leash with the founding president, Jim Leckie. You know, I love Jim. He's a great guy. <laughs> he kind of let me do my thing. You got and, reeled uh, in. I got, reeled, got in. reeled in. I got reeled in big time. And um, so it became clear that, like, uh, my days were numbered at DCAD and um, really wanted something else. And I, you know, saw this request for proposals and really started to do some research on uh, – on these art spaces. One of the first spaces that I really dug in on was this uh, program in Oakland, California called the uh, Center for Creative Growth. And so in the 70s, when they established, they were they established off this idea that, you know, instead of treating uh, folks with disabilities, th- th- their program specifically works with people on the developmental disability spectrum. But instead of, you know, treating them with like an uh, art therapy model, their idea was like, let's treat these people as the artists that they are. Let's just create a studio space, fill it with supplies, and support them in their practice. You know, not to have like uh, therapy with a capital T going on. Not somebody in there that I'm well, you're not. You know, like, here's yeah, what you I'm need to be doing. I'm going to put you through these sort of routines, mm-hmm. and, and in these routines, you'll get some mm-hmm. therapy mm-hmm. where it's sort of like, mm-hmm. hey, you be creative and lead yourself. Mm-hmm. You can do whatever yeah. you want in here within these certain guidelines, and you're free to sort of work mm-hmm. it out. 
And so like, I thought that that model was just really radical. I like really dug it. And then right off the bat, it became clear to me that like every single art studio in my entire life had been that place for me, starting when I was a little kid through my own, you know, junior high and, and high school, you know, like I should have asked myself, you know, why the hell am I in the art room four periods a day when I'm a senior in high school? You know, like, okay, yeah, like I was always been a really motivated and ambitious artist, but there's something there. Like I just wasn't right if I wasn't in that room a lot. You know, like I would just get real squirrely if I wasn't making or doing something. I gravitated to, to making really as a as a way to kind of regulate and um you know never once would i dare like say that when i was in school you know like i you know i would never communicate that you know that well, uh, you, you know, probably didn't even, i wouldn't even know if you had a do you think when you were 15 or 16 that you had a full sort of understanding that that's now, i think I, in high school i didn't but definitely in college okay. there was like an awareness that yeah. like oh man you don't want to talk about I, your feelings too much you don't want to be <laughs> yeah. that person in a critique that is like leaning on their own trauma to like avoid like <laughs> some really hard conversations about their work. But, uh, you know, there was something to it that I just felt like was really cool in this, in this research project of looking at the creative growth model that I already knew some of the people that were, who were uh, using the Rick Van Story Resource Center. And one of the guys is this guy, Nakoma Frederick, who, you know, we're, we're the same age, uh, he just turned th uh, 39 in April. I turned 39 here at the end of the month. Um, we have a lot of the same references. I, when I was doing the New Wilmington Art Association, you know, I would see him a lot around town. We would show a lot of his work. You know, his main studio space was the, uh, you know, Dunkin' Donuts that was in the parking garage there. Yeah, the old Midtown yeah. parking garage. And uh, and then Fourth Street McDonald's. That's where he would like you be able to hang out for a dollar a day and like yeah. make work, and no one would bother him. And um, so I knew like I knew a lot of the talent, and I actually kind of like built my proposal around like what would what would Nakoma need to really uh, integrate himself into the local art community. And the big emphasis of these peer-run drop-in spaces, too, was community integration. You know, we're going to have a lot of people coming out of the psychiatric center and other institutions. And, you know, we got the feds here, like, suing us because of it. And it reminds me of, like, the Chris Rock stand-up routine where he says, uh, you know, you know what your boss is telling you when you make minimum wage is that I'd pay you less if I could, but it's against the law. You know, it's like our funding for these programs <laughs> – it yeah. didn't, there wasn't altruism there. It was like, yeah, you know, we're going to do this. You get whatever the yeah. and um, but you know, you know, I walked into that interview with the state, you know, with my proposal in hand, and and it was funny because Alan said to me, he was like, "Look, man, they don't have anybody for this. You know, you're going to walk in there with the plan. They're going to say, you know, do you have lived experience? Because they need to hire somebody who they could deem a peer." And, uh, you know, so I checked off all those boxes, but it was my lived experience being in recovery that was the thing that really kind of set me off and got me the job. Yeah, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't my arts credentials. Um, but it was, you know, the, the work that I've been doing in the arts leading up to this that really enabled us to start early on with a lot of capital that a lot of these programs wouldn't have otherwise. You know, you're trying to like create a mental health peer drop-in space these spaces don't typically have a lot of people moving through them who have any kind of capital whatsoever. And so being able to start right off the bat by bringing the art community to this space really helped big time. 
and uh, and during that time period too, you know, I'd been doing a lot of work with you know you know local folks. I mean, uh, you know, doing a lot of stuff on the on the art loop, you know, the Shipley Loft development project, and and during that time period too was even uh, doing a lot of work with the Wilmington Renaissance Corporation. You know, but it became really clear, like I think after like a year or two of Creative Vision Factory, that a lot of these kind of like friendships started to like fade. And it was clear to me that like it was like, okay, oh Comback is actually actually working with the poor and disenfranchised. <laughs> you know, they're actually working with those folks and all of a sudden, you know, the seemingly like limitless partnerships that were out there started to like get closed off. And, yeah, um, I mean, that's not surprising because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's it's one thing. The idea of it is one thing. The veneer of it is one thing. But when you're like, oh, no, he's actually doing this. Mm-hmm. Like, he's, he's he's bringing these folks together. He's giving them a space to, like, sort of work out their stuff in a sort of a structured but open free And they're like, no, wait wait a minute. They're, they're all there. <laughs> it's like the woman who said, who are these people? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, that. those are the mm-hmm. people. That's mm-hmm. what we're doing. Yeah, it's, it's funny that I, – because I – I remember when you first opened because, of course, I you know I knew you before. So I'm like, oh, you're doing this thing. I wasn't sure what it was. I, and then it, it just sort of, within a year or two, took off mm-hmm. because you had the capital to open it. You were you already had some connections where people were going to feel comfortable coming, and you had ideas um, to get people involved. I guess just, I mean, the the, the biggest one. Um, and I show people this when we walk down Chipley. Anytime I'm downtown behind the Christiana Center for Arts and Culture, mm-hmm. um, the the mosaic that's up there, mm-hmm. um, you, like there's tiles that people, you know, you, you know, made their own ceramics and put them in kilns in your in mm-hmm. your shop. And it's just it's so uh, mm-hmm. it's it's really um, your ideas. I think driving that forward are absolutely incredible. And I think that's probably why a lot of those people <laughs> ran away. <laughs> no, the, you know, and then too that that wall uh, behind Christine Cultural Arts Center is just—it's beautiful. I, I think I that do. I have the, to tell uh, you, and I'm not just—I mm-hmm. I say a lot of things. I, I do take people past that because mm-hmm. I, I um, number one, I do think it just came out. It's quite a thing to look at mm-hmm. where it is, and for some reason, in the mm-hmm. in context, it's a, mm-hmm. plus. Uh, Nurse Susan and I were collecting every uh, mirror possible mm-hmm. and like delivering. Mm-hmm. Mirrors. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody had on the neighborhood mm-hmm. thing, oh, I mm-hmm. could give away a mirror. Bring mm-hmm. them here. Take mm-hmm. them, put them on our step. I would wake up to walk the dog. Mm-hmm. There'd be mirrors on the step, mm-hmm. just people mm-hmm. leaving them. Well, th- th- that that little block right there, you know, uh, you have Christina Cultural Arts, the the rear entrance where that mosaic wall is built, and then right across the street is Allied Locksmith, and then Shipley Lofts, and. You know, my kind of like love letter to the arts and to the community and to the city is somewhere in between the reflection of Chris White gallery letters that are on that wall that face that that big window on Shipley Street. I hung those letters and that wall that's there early on in the kind of final stages of the opening of Shipley Lofts, there wasn't a wall drawn in by the architect there. And, you know, I, I knew that if we put a wall there, it would give us more hanging space in the gallery, but then it would also give us a place where we could, like, kind of name the, the gallery. And I really fought for that, got it, but then Chris dies. And um, it was me on a ladder, not exactly OSHA approved, 
hanging these metal letters spelling out the Chris White Gallery on that wall. And every time I walk by there and see the the mosaics reflected on that glass and Chris's name there, it just if I accomplish nothing else, like I'll be I'll be totally cool. Yeah, and uh, it's, it, it, and then the Christian Cultural Arts Wall though is born out of a conversation. <laughs> Being like, I'm, I'm leaving a Wilmington Renaissance Corporation state of the downtown breakfast like conference. And at this point, the relationship between me and them started to sour a little bit. It became clear that, you know, um, that we weren't really going to be working in partnership with the, you know, quote unquote, creative district. You know, um, now what was the, what was, I mean, obviously we just <clears throat> had a little chat <clears throat> about it, but. How did you get that feeling? What 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 were some of the things that were occurring that would kind of indicate that uh, they're pulling away from this? Well, you know, like you, at the time when the creative district was brought up, the only two entities inside the borders that they drew that were arts related were Shipley Lofts and Creative Vision Factory. So, of course, if you're going to like start a creative district, you're going to have to have those two entities somehow represented so i was a part of one of the first kind of like exploratory or like you know advisory boards and so um early on you know we were part of the conversation and then like slowly i started to realize that i wasn't getting invited to meetings and (laughs) i'm leaving a state of the downtown conference that was at the queen and they had the slide that was up on the screen. It was called like uh, it was like local creative assets, and like we weren't on this map, and I was all all kinds of worked up about it. And I'm I'm having f- coffee with uh, a friend of mine at at Bruhaha, and I'm burning about this conference and you know feeling slighted and not being included and not being a part of it. Um, and then in in walks Ray Avery. To me, is like the godmother of the Wilmington art community. You know, like my North Star the entire time I've been working in in downtown. Um, Chris White, when I was when he was still alive, he was um, he really encouraged me to be a part of this uh, group that I think was it was out of like the Blueprint communities, J.P. Morgan Chase funded study. You know, giant waste of time. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, say no more. They took. A, a group of arts folks down to D.C. to look at the development around U Street. And Chris comes back from this trip and says to me, he was like, Michael, you are going to sit on this committee every month from here on out, and you're just going to be somebody to stir up shit. Because these folks really think that we learned something from this trip. He's like, the only thing that I learned is that if we're going to recreate the magic of U Street, we should have redirected Amtrak up Market Street after the riots. That's the only thing to learn. U Street is a transit hub. He's like, I don't see how the lessons are going to like translate into West Center City. And uh, he's like, I want you to go in there and just like speak differently to these people. Yeah, so you're going to have so, you're going to have to rain on their parade after every month. Chris died. Like I like felt obliged to like show up to these meetings and. In these meetings, I would like sit there, and the only person that was like saying anything like that made sense was Ray Avery, and uh, <laughs> and so really quickly, like I, I I developed a real affinity to her, and and then too like the work that we did. I think that the work that I was doing through New Wilmington Art Association after a year doing that work, uh, Christian Cultural Arts Center uh, gave me a Christie Award 
And it was kind of like, it, it just seemed funny to me. It's like, you know, you do anything in Delaware, you're going to be recognized for it. And, uh, and, uh, so that's all you got. So you, you just got the cold shoulder. Basically you were, you were in and then you uh, were out with mm-hmm. no real Well, yeah. And it was just kind of, no, no real conversation. There was a project that we got kind of like iced out of. It was a veterans mural on Washington street. And it was kind of shady how they kind of like, you know, didn't include us on that project, whatever you take L's it happens. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and then too, it's 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 wild to me though. It's like the the city's small, but it's large enough to have all kinds of different arts and cultures things going on. I think that our fatal mistake in this town is thinking that everybody has to be at the table. Like, I think that when people insist on inclusion, they need to also reckon with the fact that inclusion is also surveillance, and it's like. You get everybody around the table, and you get to like watch them. <laughs> yeah, so, that's uh, actually pretty profound because I, I've, I mean, even in my, I'm sort of, I just mm-hmm. dip my toe in like mm-hmm. part time here and there, mm-hmm. and I sort of know people. But yeah, you see a lot of even people who are doing good work really worried about like protecting their their space or needing mm-hmm. to be involved in everything that's happening in their sort of world. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's not actually really healthy mm-hmm. at all. One of my favorite curators, Nato Thompson, is actually based out of Philadelphia right now. He, uh, you know, in one of his lectures was saying, you know, this isn't a leftist idea or a rightist idea. You know, people protect their shit. That just, it is. That's, yeah. that just is. And, um, you know, that kind of idea, you know, uh, you know, the, the backtrack, I'm, I'm leaving a WRC State of Downtown Conference. I'm all pissed off that we're not included on this, like, cultural arts asset map. I'm burning up about it. Ray Avery, executive director of Christina Cultural Arts, walks into Brouhaha and then asks me, hey, what would you think of that conference, Michael? And, of course, I spoke my mind. You know, I'm just like, well, this is – and she was like, you know, Michael, I'm sorry, but, you know, Christina Cultural Arts is coming up on its uh, – 75th anniversary and we weren't included on the map and so it was that conversation of us coming coming together realizing that hey you know like what is going on with the creative district you know if we are not at the table who is at the table and that's where we started to say okay well what can we do together you know we don't we don't need to all line up with you know Wilmington Renaissance Corporation or line up with the Cultural Affairs Office. We, you know we have enough capital and know how we can do our own thing. Yeah, and I that think... mosaic wall was born out of that conversation. And you know Ray gave us kind of permission to do whatever. And when you when you go up on that wall, the writing that is in the ceramic tiles, it is like a quilt, a hardscaped quilt of speech. You know, there's people commemorating lost loved ones. There's Black Lives Matter language all throughout the wall. But if you're driving down Shipley Street, you're just seeing a bunch of shiny mirrors and nice color. Yeah, I think that's why I have a friend of mine who's going to give a shout out because he's a patron of the show. Greg. Mm -hmm. What's up, Greg? He's he's a big patron. Uh, I took him. We were at the People's Festival, I think, the Marley Festival just a month or so ago. And we took a walk and I took him past it. And yeah, you really have to look at it because the the tiles and the 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 unique sort of it's personal. It's very personal when you get up to it and you look at it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it's it's very striking. Mm-hmm. It's a striking. I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. The other one, I, and I I want to push on because I think this is leading mm-hmm. into sort mm-hmm. of a current state of affairs downtown, yeah, yeah, yeah. which I'm very interested mm-hmm. in. Yeah, yeah. But I want to also uh, let people know that there's a huge mural uh, on out when you go out the peninsula towards the Calmore Nickel. Uh, that was uh, your group's doing collaborative effort out there. Yeah. Um, how many people worked on that mural? 
probably like I think like twenty four people. Yeah. That was our first large scale project, and it was large. Yeah. yeah so it's like two hundred twenty feet long, twenty feet high. Yeah, it's, um, it's, that's awesome. I, I actually walked after it was done. We had talked, and I had I hadn't seen any. Mm. I hadn't seen it in any state of mm. like undoneness. Mm. And I walked from my office uh, down past Old Sweets Church, all mm-hmm. the way down Church Street. They were like, this, this, "What's this guy doing?" I'm like, yeah. "Looking at the mural. <laughs> Leave me alone." One of our, uh, uh, but it was very. It was really. Uh, the, it's, it's quite striking. The kismet around that wall is just like beautiful. Yeah, you know? and uh, so I somehow like agree just through my. The network of support at this time was introduced to the Calmore Nickel Foundation. All right. So, like, you think you know everybody in Wilmington, and then you go down there, and the people at the Calmore Nickel Foundation, like, if you're part of a nonprofit that recreated the ship that the Swedes came over here and found the new Sweden colony, you're like talking to some different people. Yeah. I come to find that, like, the entire, like, state Republican committee is on their board. And yeah. it's like, okay, I was like, oh, this is why I don't know any of you. Yeah. You know, like, I'm old, never on Because boats. they're so heavy hitters. Yeah. <laughs> well, I actually know the woman who was the, the chair, one of the co-chairs of that mm-hmm. committee is actually the mother of the artist that made that mm-hmm. other piece mm-hmm. down in the dining room. Oh, yeah, yeah, So she's, but mm-hmm. she's an older lady. And, mm-hmm. and uh, again, it's an upper echelon of, those people are philanthropists. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? I'm making <laughs> no, quote totally. marks. You know no, what I mean? Totally, you know what totally, totally. Um, mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. just into mm-hmm. sort of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, like just the power. I was really quickly able to spin stories of our folks being trapped by bureaucratic webs and, and wanting to return to work, and they were like, "Oh yes, more of that, please." You know? <laughs> that's, and, uh, that's actually what we're what. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, when we when we see, agreed to that wall, you know, I had done some like you know large scale painting before. <laughs> underneath the Pennsylvania Turnpike overpass and on a Pennsylvania State Police car when I was 19. Yeah, I was going to say, was this, but, uh, this, was com- this wasn't uh, commissioned <laughs> yeah, by anyone. Yeah. This was commissioned and, uh, by yours. What it, time of the day was this done? Very, yeah, very early in the morning. <laughs> early riser. The, uh, so, um, you know, I had some experience of doing large-scale work, but never that at that scale. And But the cool thing about getting that gig is that I, Creative Vision Factory had been open for about a year, and... The great thing about communal art studios is that you just learn so much about people by watching how they go about their work. And so in my mind, I had this like dream team of artists that I already knew would be capable and fun to work with outside. And um, I'm, I'm meeting with the foundation. We just looked at the wall. And here, the wall is right across the street from like a gorgeous park, Fort Christina Park. Yeah. It's right there. Where are they? The, which the, was the, like where are they more the Calmar Nickel? Under the, it's very neat. Lock place. and key. Yeah. Like closed off from people. And then like being down there, I come to find out that it's closed off from people because apparently there's like a dog fighting ring down there. All right. <laughs> like, that actually, uh, that checks out. <laughs> and so like fascinating history and then too every single person in the art community when we were working on that project had amazing stories about this uh this bar that used to be at the yes, end correct. of the seventh street uh, the peninsula hideout, i think it was called or the, the lookout or hideout. something like that yeah i i was I, never I, been there it, was, it burned down subsequently mm-hmm. but i have a, fr- a couple friends that work for the news journal reports for the news journal that like to take a canoe out sometimes we put the canoe in the water by the zoo mm-hmm. we take it out the brandy wine uh, and around the like behind the port and all the way to the river Mm-hmm. Just take it like that. So we go past the old burned out shack mm-hmm. that used to mm-hmm. be down there. Yeah. I, I want to say it was called the hideout, but I, I'm I'm not. It's going to come to me as we get talking. But yeah. every artist of a certain age had amazing stories about that place. And like for me, like a lot of my arts organizing in town 
has always been about like just getting people together to look at cool shit. And when you get people together and look That's at cool shit. That's how I shit, describe art. Like, you, you start just come together and look at cool shit. Hearing all kinds of things. And when we were showing these, doing these exhibitions in vacant property owned by the Puccini Bowling Group, like you got to hear these amazing stories of like the community that used to be there. You know, like the 4W5 Cafe was doing like amazingly radical things. And you'd sit there in this like vacant storefront with like luxury apartments that are vacant above you. And you're wondering, like, well, why the hell can we have that now? Like, that's exactly what the kind of space that we would need. Well, here's my here's you know? my my fear of the future, and you know, I have some ties to that sort of neighborhood. You're deep in it, mm-hmm. and you know, you see what's happening uh, with the downtown, and you know, we got we we've elected a real estate developer mayor, and so we have real estate development. Mm-hmm. Um, and my fear is that it's it's sort of spreading. You know, you have the Midtown where Midtown Mall used to be. You have it. You have it there. We have, it, we have a pool at that building, which I yeah. think is funny to me. I, mm-hmm. I don't know why it's <laughs> funny in the way that I'm like, what the fuck is that? I avoided that development for so long. I'd walk around there. I wouldn't walk by it. The first time I actually walked by it is when I noticed that the pool is street level. I come to I come back to the Creative Vision Factory. I'm on the floor of the studio, and I said, "I was like, can you believe that the pool is like right there at the street level?" And one one of my members was like, "Yeah, you could throw a cat in there." <laughs> uh, I mean, you could. We don't, you know. <laughs> the whole thing. So, and then, but the, just recently, there was a big sort of, I guess, ribbon cutting with some money being put into like the Ninth Street corridor. Yeah, I guess, and. And so it comes right back to what you said before. Like, do you have any um, – are, are you looking at the horizon thinking you're going to have battles to fight because of the folks that you're serving and the kind of neighborhood that, uh, frankly, I would want it to be? And not only that, you know, there's there's also folks that – it's the pure gentrification thing. Are they going to be pushed out while property owners that are, say, along Orange Street um, – want to do something along west street you know as it as it sort of creeps out you know i i i i don't like the idea of it yeah and i and, and you're in it so you would be able to probably talk about your feelings and, and sort of where you see mm-hmm. it going well you know it's it's really it's really wild for the longest time the only overnight neighbors that we had on the 600 block of shipley street was nancy josephson and david brownberg with their violin shop on the corner of six and market yep Nancy is the person who like came over to the Creative Vision Factory in a very neighborly way, like taught us cut glass mosaics. She hangs out with us all the time. Yep. You know, she is actually the plug that is getting one of our artists into Raw Vision magazine this winter. Nice. And it's like, you know, I couldn't think of a better neighbor. Um, yeah, it's funny. I think about that too in the revitalization mm-hmm. of the Queen. I'm mm-hmm. a little upset about it now because Live Nation is not what yeah. I consider like. Mm-hmm an art venue mm-hmm. uh, and i was just i was actually just at the met uh in philly too and it's the same it's just mm-hmm. you know, very corny stuff but and so we have like we but have i love that bromberg uh mm-hmm. th- that he's there because i think both of them are are really kind of linchpins in the arts well they're they, real they, people they, they, too. they seem I mean, to be yeah they're... they have a they have a tradition of really doing uh like doing stuff with real people mm-hmm. and not being corporate they have that mm-hmm. tradition yeah so they kind of took the mm-hmm. dough and they were like yeah we'll just do whatever we want 
Well, you know, you know, Nancy, you know, her, uh, you know, their son learned how to walk in an Arlo Guthrie tour bus, you know, like, you know, they, they got great stories and, but Nancy has like the biggest heart and it's just a tenacious advocate and just a really good friend to our folks. And, you know, for me, it's like, I, I, um, I, I definitely watch people who come into the Great Vision factory and, you know, I've just seen some really genuine people in this community really become genuine friends with our folks, you know, like, you know, the Nancy Josephsons of the world, uh, Barry Schlecker, you know, there, there's, there's folks that just have the, the biggest hearts and just feel so comfortable just hanging out with our folks, you know, and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, uh, you know, Father Boyle from Homeboy Industries, uh, you know, he talks a, a, a lot of, about going to the margins, you know, we're only going to eliminate margins if we are present at the margins, if we, you know, it, the term that I always used was hangoutology. You know, hangoutology is a term I got from uh, this, you know, artist David Am- Amram was describing like the Lower East Side of the early 70s. And he was like, look, like the only reason like there's a lot of like cultural mixing going on is that if you were an artist living in that neighborhood, you had to protect yourself against petty crime. And so you'd hang out with your adolescent neighbors. You know, you don't want them to like beat you up. You don't want them to steal your bike. So you hang out with them, maybe like play music with them. <laughs> get yeah. to know them yeah. and uh you know so throughout this kind of you know, method of hangoutology you're, get, you're really getting to know people and and really trying to figure out where the problems are you know uh, in a peer-run you know mental health drop-in art space you know these folks i'm telling you they they are so done with the services that are available for them you know like the hoops that you have to jump through the shit that you have to do just to get a little something in this country it's just blows my fucking mind and uh you know these folks are just done you know you need to really kind of hang out and get an understanding as to what's really going on before you start to like try to reform systems and like i said after nine years of kind of being on the studio floor hanging out with our folks like i do not think that there's a mental health crisis i don't think that there's a substance use crisis it's plain as day we have a money problem you know, and then too, so it's like it's a, it's a problem of allocation yeah, of resources. Yeah. and Every, it's like our folks. Three three people have more money than the bottom fifty mm-hmm. percent of people. You know, the top one percent has more money. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's it's sick. And like the and it's only, only getting worse, and it's not like that. Uh, uh, an equitable and just distribution of resources would actually go further than anything to sort of ameliorate what we consider these big social or mental mm-hmm. health problems. Mm-hmm. Because there's ways of interacting with folks who, yeah, maybe they, maybe, you know, maybe they've made mistakes in their life. Mm-hmm. Maybe they've been addicted. Maybe they've been homeless. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we can. There's things we can do, but the things that we choose to do actually are perpetuate them. No, it's such a it's such a trip, you know. Because the only the only time that I'm seeing like really like great and you know remarkable improvement with people that we work with at the Great Division Factory is when they get housed, right? This isn't like, this is not rocket science. Like if you are outside or if you're navigating these shelters, you are under constant stress and constant threat. You are exhibiting behaviors of hyper arousal, hyper aggression. That is just how you, that's how you have to behave to survive that environment. You know, it's a, you know, as a, as a trained artist, you know, you're looking at everything through this Marxist lens. Everything is a product of its surrounding social and economic conditions. And you see the folks that we that we're working with, and uh, 
They're getting it from every corner. The moment these uh, our folks are get housed, you see this crazy transformation. There's this couple that I know for years, years. I probably have broken up like maybe probably like six to eight fights between these two. I've seen like some real chaos in their lives. The day that I help them move a TV into their new apartment just fucking blew my mind. I'm walking up to the apartment. We're holding this big-ass TV we got from Salvation Army. And as we're walking up the steps, I'm seeing these little, like, artworks that I recognize from the Creative Vision Factory, shit that they've made over the years. We get into the apartment. They're showing me their cat, showing me around, offering me a drink. And the normalcy of this just just blew my mind, you know? And just to think of, like, the money, you know, just the, the cost of these services, you know, the cost of, you know... Um, Trips to the emergency room, you know, the cost of, you know, WPD, like being called in to break shit up, all this cost. First one I thought All this stuff, you know, like fizzles out when you have your own damn place. You know, like (laughs) we need to look at housing as treatment. You know, know, housing is a treatment. And um, so, and then too, it's like all the the judgment we have of, of, of these behaviors, you know, it's a... It's been a trip because I, I've started to recognize, you know, early on when I was on, you know, took this contract, we would go through trainings about transferable trauma, um, PTSD, and you learn about hyperaggression, all this stuff. And I'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I understand that intellectually. But, you know, when I started to realize, like, that I'm having trouble being in the office by myself or, you know, when I'm on the floor of the studio, I have to have eyes facing the door and window and this constant, like, anticipation of something awful happening all the time. <laughs> it's then, like, you know, I was, you know, I can joke now with my staff, like, if you have to start asking yourselves about, like, the symptoms of PTSD, you have it, you know. And, if you're wondering. And um, and what's been wild is as as we've gained a foothold on that street and as the program has matured you know we're understanding more and more and more about how to do the work that we're doing but we're also this evolution is also uh taking place during a time where development is is happening around us and this development hasn't exactly embraced us with like warm fuzzy hugs yeah this is my this gets to the point i was sort of making i'm you know there's a few linchpins of that neighborhood you're certainly one of them i think nomad the jazz mm-hmm. club nomad is no, one no, of them no doubt yeah. um but yeah i mean it they are truly sort of spaces for the neighborhood mm-hmm. f- serving the people where they mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. hanging out doing whatever you know and and those are slowly being sort of surrounded mm-hmm. and it's uh you know it's, it's going to be very tricky to defend mm-hmm. some of these things mm-hmm. well and too it's like it's you know, I, I've, I found that, like, uh, what's well, interesting, you know, I started to observe, because um, I'm, I'm very much a part of the art world. I'm very much a part of, like, a, an academic community as well. Um, but I'm very much, all of my work is informed from this day-to-day, Monday through Friday work at the Great Vision Factory. And I started noticing, you know, being out in the community or being, like, at a meeting at the art museum, I started seeing that, I'm engaged in conversations with like an intensity that nobody else has. And I started realizing that like, oh shit, like here I am. I'm I'm the one who's hyper aggressive now. Like I'm like 
<laughs> I'm exhibiting all these same traits of like the of what my members are, and I'm realizing that this isn't really helping me establish relationships with people by making this kind of like really rigid us versus them type stuff. Well, and it starts funny. to like it's erode just, my soul. Uh, <laughs> what you just and, described, and you probably know this from 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 knowing me personally. Mm-hmm. I've I've run into that sort of situation myself. I'm like, no way, really. I'm like, I'm like, you motherfuckers! <laughs> what am I yelling? Well, yeah, you know, and it's it. so it's so uh, you know, it is such a thing. I mean, you know, and everybody who's involved in any kind of activism is gonna. You know, we have a mental health crisis for us. I mean, we we really have to figure out a way to sustain the fight long term to be able to affect any yeah, kind of change. It's not, really it's not keep our stop. heads. It's really never yeah. going to stop. It's got to no. be a movement. Mm-hmm. Everybody said that from from Bernie all the way mm-hmm. down to every activist who's mm-hmm. been in here. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, it's at some point you have to sort of realize mm-hmm. that that's the way it's mm-hmm. going to be, yep. and you can't mm-hmm. when you. I mean, you, you've said it a couple of times tonight. You're going to take a lot of L's. Yeah. And that's all part of it. Yep. Like, you know, you, you're going to get hit in the face. You got to come back tomorrow and just be like, do whatever you're doing. Yep. That's just the most important thing. Well, and it's, I think, uh, you know, that awareness I started to have that, you know, like the, the behavior that I started to exhibit, the burnout that I'm, I was experiencing, and then how it was manifesting was actually really um, cutting short a lot of potential partnership, a lot of potential work. And and then kind of recognizing that it wasn't just working for me. You know, I'm not I'm not coming into work refreshed and recharged. And I always have to remind you know my staff that look look like we we all slept in beds last night. You know, we for the most part have a supportive network. You know, we we are going home to people who who adore us, who love us. You know, we have to be able to hit the reset button and recharge to be present and on the floor with folks who really need us right now. That 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 need us to be on our game, you know. And uh, when we're working on the Calmar Nickel mural, you know, there's a, a the education curator, and his name's gonna escape me. This guy was amazing. This guy was like on fire for the history of that area, on fire about the details of the ship. And um, you know, studying the ship, there's uh, Viking ships of that era would have these carvings at at midship, carvings of dogs. And so the dog would be stationed at midship, and one eye would be open and one eye would be closed. The eye that is open was looking out at dangers out at the sea, and the eye that was closed was closed to not see the shenanigans of the crew on the ship. And when we we learned that little detail, we're like, fuck, man, that dog, that Commodore Nickel dog is the Creative Vision Factory mascot. <laughs> nice. You know, we need to have an eye to all these external dangers. But you come through that door at 617 North Shipley Street, you need to be able to take a fucking load off. These folks are facing every challenge you can think of in a in a bucket where people are just pulling each other into it and it's you're seeing no investment, you know, no dollars coming in, nothing but kind of like vitriol and contempt and you know they have enough challenges you know we need to let people come in and just kind of take a load off you know and and then to like the old kind of like alcoholics anonymous analysis you know you have old guys in aa will often say that if you keep going to a barber shop you're going to get a haircut and it's like you know what would you say if you keep coming to the creative vision factory you're going to make something you know eventually but on your terms and in your timeline and if you need to come in and just kind of like cool out Get on the Wi-Fi, use the restroom, have coffee. Fuck it, we'll let you do that. 
you know, eventually you're going to, you know, get something else out of it as well. But if that's all you get, that's, that's great, you know? And so early on, I think that, you know, um, you know, the language now, I, you know, I kind of have the language of harm reduction now that I didn't have nine years ago. And, um, you know, that's, it's exciting to me to think that, you know, other systems, you know, other countries, you know, we had, we were part of this international mental health tour where I had a group of people from Switzerland came through to visit the Creative Vision Factory. And, you know, they're talking to me about their like safe injection sites and stuff like this. I'm thinking, I was like, man, this is incredible. And I was like, but you know, like, if I started talking about that in downtown Wilmington, people would look at me like I had a horn growing out of my head. And uh, these folks were like, you know what, you know, we think the same thing, uh, you know, about the fact that we could probably walk down the street and buy a gun here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we have, you know, yeah, so the, the environment is not conducive <laughs> to any kind of therapeutic, you know, it's just not. And it's, just, you know, it's like we got to, we really have to take care of ourselves and be those kind of Calmar Nickel dogs. And, um, and then keeping an eye on those external dangers, you know, it, it's, it, it sucks that local development is now one of those threats. Yeah. It sucks that we can't, don't have the capacity, the will, or the creativity to create real, genuine, affordable housing. It sucks that all those federal dollars that are attached to that stuff, t you know, puts up so many barriers that our folks aren't going to fucking make it through. It's like trying to get like a, a camel through the eye of a needle, you know, and you're going to like have all these kind of overlapping uh, drug policies that are going to, and you know, folks are going to have to like piss clean before they can actually get housed. And it's yeah, so that, fucking that, backwards. <laughs> Everything has to be flipped on its head here. And, you know, housing first needs to be like right up there. You know, housing yeah, is housing treatment. And housing, and, housing and any other kind of medical mm -hmm. stuff. It is amazing sure. of the shit that kind of fizzles out and stabilizes and it's amazing how resilient folks are, you know, and that's the thing too. It's like the lesson of, of the creative vision factory is not only the amazing artwork that comes out of the stuff, it's just learning to see that, you know, if it goes down, these are the people I want to be with. You know, these are, these are some of the strongest, most resilient people I've ever known. And, um, you know, they're going to make it no matter what. And if we could just even nudge these systems a little bit closer to justice, folks are really going to, they're going to benefit greatly from it. That's awesome. You're doing great work, man. I appreciate you coming yeah, yeah. in. I'll, I, sometimes I'll stop in there to see if you're there just to poke my head around because mm -hmm. I just, yeah, there's something going on there, and I really appreciate mm -hmm. you coming in. Yeah, we got a we got a cool project coming up. We're going to be installing a another big mosaic wall at Warner Elementary School this fall. It's going to be viewable off of Van Buren. So I think it's going to be a little bit more viewable than most of our other places have uh, sites have been. It's funny because my same big mosaic because you're gonna you're gonna uh, you're gonna fire tile on the whole. Oh yeah, yeah, bit. yeah. We're actually we're firing all the high fire clay down at uh, the University of Delaware. Okay. And um, it's kind of like going to the laundromat. Our kiln is so small. You know, we can fire all the stuff in our kiln, yeah. but it's, it's so much easier yeah. just to like load up the truck and go down to UD and just have like a big, uh, you know, giant laundromat fire off. Nice. You know. Well, folks, um, I'm glad you uh, you checked it out. I'm glad to have uh, my first bona fide artist, fine artist in here. There's going to be a few other ones. We're, gonna, we're there in the works. But, uh, yeah, when you see anything from – when you see any a veteran of the Creative Vision Factory or you see uh, sometimes you guys open and do an opening just there during Art Loop or do other things, um, check it out. It's, uh, it's really cool work, nine years running, and uh, hopefully many – 
Yeah, and we'll see. We're still on Shipley Street. You know? Yeah, so <laughs> we far. We haven't so been uh, kicked off the block yet, and the door's open to anybody at any time. That's one of the things that is, uh, you know, kind of like subtly radical. You know, the fact that there's not a buzzer at that door. You know, anybody can walk into that building. Anybody can come in, and that really means anybody. You know, I tell anybody to drop in on us anytime. And uh, one of my members always said, he said it one night, one night we were meeting late, and he said somebody was at the front door trying to get in, and he he hesitated to let him in. It was after hours, and he said to us, he was like, yeah, you never know uh, at the Creative Vision Factory. I mean, could be a pusher, could be a trick, could be a scientist. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Folks, thanks for joining. Uh, Once again, uh, hit up the Patreon page for a for, for we got we got we got tiers two dollars five dollars ten dollars a month i've been uh, in contact with about 12 or 13 folks who are looking to do possibly you know a big executive producer thing the eugene v debs fellowship a hundred dollars a month a lot a lot of bells and whistles with that some of you won't be able to do it that's perfectly fine but anything you can do please do we're on twitter at, at uh, highlands bunker uh we are on itunes the whole gamut uh, we will see you again next week. Uh, Michael, thanks for coming in again. Thanks for having me. Lula Livre, left his best.